I hope that I can just share something from my heart today. Um, I wrote all these notes uh, last night. I thought, what am I going to do with these notes that I wrote? And um, as I was praying, I felt God just say, you're with friends. I haven't met all of you yet. (laughs) But in Christ, uh, we are brothers and sisters. We are friends. And so I just felt an encouragement to say, just share from your heart to your friends. That's what I want to do today. I want to share something of uh, some of the things that I learned in Cambodia, some of the experiences that God led me and and Pern and I through, and uh, something of what we hope to do going back, and just to share some reflections on two or three scriptures as we go through. Let's just spend a moment in prayer. (laughs) Father, we've come to you in prayer already. We've sung your praises. We've worshipped you. We've sung with one voice. And right now, I just want to ask that together, we might be able to open up our hearts and our minds to you again. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would move our hearts, that you would motivate us, that you will empower us, that you would help us together to be involved in your global mission through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that this would be both for our joy and for your glory. Amen. When I was reflecting on uh, what to share this morning, this part of this purpose statement on your website was something that I looked at. And I think I just want to highlight four words from uh, part of this mission statement or purpose statement on your church's website. And those four words are, and the wider community. I hope to explore a little bit today about how God is inspiring us to see his kingdom come and his will be done beyond Penrith. Um, I reflect on the time in Cambodia, and I think part of our main way of working was in community development in partnership with local churches. Community development in partnership with local churches. I spent most of my time living in a small city called Paipait in the northwest of Cambodia. I'll pop a couple of maps up so that you can see um, where Cambodia is in Southeast Asia and also where Paipait is, just highlighted there in the northwest. Um, Paipait is a small city, just over 100,000 people. And when I moved there in 2008, there were perhaps half a dozen small churches. There was a Catholic church, a Protestant church, and a few house churches. Uh, Perhaps 200 to 250 believers in a city of 100,000. So we already had um, set up a a not-for-profit, a non-government organisation, and um, we decided to uh, work in that way, in humanitarian work, in community development work, in partnership with those local churches to see God's kingdom established in Boipain. Because I think in any city, we can look for and see the problems, the challenges. Boipain is right on the border, and so there is um, a degree of corruption, trafficking, drug trafficking, violence, crime. But we can see not only what the problems are, but what God is doing in any city. 
we can look for the signs of God at work, the positive things. In development terms, we can frame it as asset-based community development, looking for the strengths that already exist in the community. And so that's the framework that I used when I moved to Boy Bay. And one of the things that quickly became apparent that was a passion for the young people there, something that they wanted to grow in their community, was sport, particularly soccer, or football as it's known globally. So uh, when I met some young people there, some, some teenagers who became some of our first volunteer football coaches, they talked about how when they were kids, they would watch the English Premier League and other football competitions on TV, but they didn't have the chance to play, either at school or outside of school. They were so desperate to play that they would get some cardboard and they would scrunch it up together and, and wrap it with some tape. And that's the ball that they would use to kick around on the dirt street near their house. So with that in mind, having never played a game of soccer in my life, I, with help from others, started a soccer ministry, a football league. It grew. It became a way for people to get together. Yes, it was a way to play soccer, an organised game of soccer with uniforms, with a real ball, sometimes even with footwear. But this was an opportunity for people to build relationships. We kept it grassroots to keep it inclusive, but we also gave players and referees and coaches the opportunity to develop their skills. So today, for example, one of our first volunteer football coaches is now a professional coach. He's coached Cambodia's under-18 national team and he's now the Director of Development for one of the professional clubs in Phnom Penh. We worked in partnership with local churches. We scheduled games on Sunday afternoons, and many of our first um, coaches were Christians. They came alongside the young people in their teams. They shared the message of Jesus with them. They invited them to youth group, to church. They were the ones who were really active in sharing their faith. After a few years, we could go to a church, say, Living Water Church. Um, the first two rows of the church were all teenagers wearing their soccer uniforms. there on Sunday mornings at church, playing soccer on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> We could go to another church in Pastor Pali's house. He was a pastor first and then became a football coach and a referee in our, in our league. He and his son, between them, coached about four or five teams every season. And that little house church grew from about 10 or 12 people every Sunday to 40 or 50 people because most of the people there were footballers. So for us, that strategy of working in community development in partnership with local churches was something that we found was really effective in Poipait in northwest Cambodia. Not all of our activities had immediate spiritual impact. I think, for example, of a project that we did helping people to 
to repair their own houses. We'll see some of the houses that were built in a minute. On the left is the before shot. We're talking one-room houses that could house one, two, seven, eight people. Um, usually no electricity or running water. But even those very simple houses, sometimes people were not able to keep them into any kind of um, appropriate sort of shelter for them and their family. So again, with help, actually a French-Cambodian friend who was working in Paris with the government um, to look at the issue of homelessness in Paris, said, can I partner with you um, to help local people in Cambodia to rebuild their own houses? So for about two years, um, my husband, Pern, was the project manager for this particular initiative. With the community leaders, they identified the, the families that were most in need. And for about 200 Australian dollars, people were helped to rebuild their own houses. At the time, I knew of one single mum who came to church as a result of this initiative. But at the time, I didn't know of anyone who became a follower of Jesus because of this particular initiative. And on one hand, I thought, that's okay. We've helped 40 families or so who didn't have anywhere to live have a roof over their heads. But then, it was kind of the icing on the cake. We went to visit three years later, back to Poipay. At that time, Pern, myself, and Levi had just turned one. At that time, none of Pern's extended family were followers of Jesus. And so we were there for Christmas and we asked them, do you know any churches in Poipay that we could visit for Christmas? Now, we thought that we knew all the churches in Poipay. We'd lived there three years ago. But they said, you know what? Do you remember that one village where a lot of the house building projects were done? Do you remember that village? We said, yeah, yeah, we remember that village. They said, well, a Cambodian from another city went to that village and they told people about Jesus and this brand new church has sprung up. Do you want to go and visit there? We said, all right, that sounds good. So we visited on Christmas Day, part church service, part Christmas party. There were decorations, there was a Christmas play, there was lots of singing, there was an evangelistic message that was shared. I think in that small building, there was probably a couple of hundred people packed in. And at the end of the message, the person who'd shared, the, the, the pastor actually, not the one who'd shared the message, the pastor said, if you'd like to give your life to commit to becoming a follower of Jesus today, come down the front. About half of the church stood up and came down the front. They started to come actually, and he, he stopped them. He said, wait, sit down. I'm not sure that you understood correctly. He said, I'm not asking you to come down if you've had a good time at church today. I'm not asking you to come down to be polite. I'm not asking you to respond if you have at some point in the past given your life to Jesus and you call yourself a Christian. He's saying, I'm asking you if you want to receive Jesus today. 
If you want to become a Christian today, if you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life starting today. And then about 50 stood up, came to the front in response to the message. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I think it was a gift for us to see that and to participate in that. We didn't have to, but God chose to just show us a little bit of that ongoing fruit. And that's what I've continued to see to this day, even though we haven't been living in Cambodia since 2014. When we arrived here, Pern was the only Christian in his extended family. I'll give you the short version. His mum, his dad, 12 of his extended family members, including his older brother, his younger sister, his brother-in-law, his sister-in-law, are all followers of Jesus now. In 2016, we moved to a different area of Sydney. We didn't know a lot of people. We didn't know any Cambodian people. But God has allowed us to make friends with Cambodian people in the area that we live. And even just in the last two weeks, I caught up with a friend for coffee. She said, even before I met her, Pip, you know, I've got a bunch of questions about religion. I want to talk with you. So we talked, and most of our discussion was about Jesus and about the Christian faith. We invited her to church. We went to church last weekend together. We couldn't go this week because both of our kids were a little bit sick uh, yesterday. But we can still see God's fruit, God's ongoing work, and we just want to continue to be a part of that. (laughs) So in one sense, next year for us as a family is a step, a a new start, a new step going back to Cambodia. But in another sense, it's, it's nothing particularly different or new. We just want to take the next step in following God in what he has for us. We want to participate in his kingdom work, and we just want to be obedient in terms of where and how he places us. I think for me, perhaps the only shift is thinking about maybe the strategy or the how, and I'd probably word it a little bit different to how I would have 10 years ago. Before I said the focus was on community development in partnership with local churches. Not a bad thing, a good thing, a great thing. But I think moving ahead, my heart is to be involved in church development in partnership with local people. Church development in partnership with local people. For my husband, Pern, his desire is to particularly come alongside young men who have come out of a government-run drug detention centre and to help them figure out what's next for them. Work, training, sport, social engagement, what's next? He doesn't want to start up a big program. He just wants to come alongside people. I don't want to start up a big program. I want to come alongside people. I want to share Jesus with people. I want to help people who are already followers of Jesus do that in communities of faith. I want to work with local people who are already doing this so that churches can be established and developed and grow in northwest Cambodia. 
as I was thinking about coming alongside people. Perhaps there are many scriptures that come to mind, many examples of how Jesus came alongside people. And I just want to share one passage. I'm not even going to read the whole passage. Um, One story from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, when Philip comes alongside an Ethiopian eunuch and shares the message of Jesus with him. I think one of the reasons I really like this story is it because it brings us back to Acts 1.8, as Mark's already mentioned, that spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I think it helps us remember that this is talking about a geographical expansion, but it's not just talking about a geographical expansion. It's talking about the way that the message of Jesus, the the way that the gospel breaks down all kinds of barriers and spreads across cultures, even across religions, as well as spreads geographically. How are we going with the slides? We're we're stuck on the Christmas party. It's a good thing. Um, I was going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. We'll move through. (laughs) That's all right. There's my friend who went to church last weekend. She's awesome. Uh, Quick picture of some of Perth's extended family members uh, when some of my family came to visit. And then there we go. Maybe one more. Where are we at? There we go. Okay. Um, So two questions just as we reflect on this short passage. Um, or maybe do a short reflection on this passage. First question we're going to look at is, who does Philip come alongside? But the question I want us to consider as we think about this text is, well, what are the implications then? How can we come alongside others? How can we come alongside others? Um, So who does Philip come alongside? It's an unnamed man. We don't know his name. But if we look at verses 27 to 28 of Acts 8, we can find out a little bit more about him. The passage starts, So he, Philip, started out. He's walking on a road called the Desert Road, the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And on his way, we read, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So what do we know about this man? I think point number one, it says he is an Ethiopian. If you look up Acts 8.27 in your Bible, you might have a little note down the bottom that says something like this. That is from the southern Nile region. It's telling us that this man likely came from the southern part of the country that we know as Egypt today, or possibly from Sudan. It wasn't from the country that we call Ethiopia today. But more importantly, in the New Testament, the word Ethiopian was used to talk about the colour of someone's skin. It's used to say he was a black man. So right off the bat, what do we know about this person? Well, we know something about his skin colour. We know something about his ethnicity, something about who he was and where he came from. 
Second, we know he is a eunuch. In the Bible, eunuchs are typically men who have been castrated and who are overseeing the king's harem of wives and concubines. But this is not the only way that the word is used in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's also used as a general term for a high official. They could have served in roles like cupbearer, ambassador, or someone who is in charge of the royal treasury. A third way that this term is used in the Bible is for someone who is unable to procreate or someone who chooses a life of singleness and celibacy. And Jesus picks up on these differences in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So, while we might not have a complete picture or a complete understanding of this man's gender or sexuality, we know that he's probably different to Philip. This is a part of who he is. Again, it's not the whole entirety of who he is as a person, but this is a part of who he is. First, he's Ethiopian. He's black. Second, he is a eunuch. The third thing that we know about him is that he has an important position. He has a position of responsibility in charge of all the treasury. He's riding a chariot that is big enough to accommodate himself and Philip along the desert road, a road that most people in those days would have walked. So he's wealthy, he has an important job, he has an important status, and he's religious. We're told that he's been to the temple in Jerusalem. We're not sure if he was allowed to worship inside the temple, but he's been to the temple and he's coming back. So, continuing with the passage in Acts uh, chapter 8, we read, The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This leads me to two final points about who this man is, this unnamed man. First, he was reading Isaiah, it says, but he didn't understand it. This tells me he was literate, and educated. He also had access somehow to this scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading it in the chariot. I don't know about you, but I can't read when I'm in the car, even as a passenger, right? I can't imagine trying to read the scroll of Isaiah. I'd get chariot sick, I reckon, if I was in that situation. But he's got a passion to learn. He's literate, he's educated, he's reading. And He's got enough intellectual humility to say when he doesn't understand. Final point. He extends hospitality to Philip. Come up, 
explain to me what I'm reading. <laughs> Tell me, what is it that I'm reading about? There's that invitation. And then in the following verse, in verse 35, we read, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So many of you have read the story before. They came to some water. The unnamed man asked Philip to baptise him on the spot. And then the spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing, we are told, and Philip appeared at Azotus and travelled around preaching in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What an amazing story. What an amazing encounter that God, that the Spirit set up for Philip to be able to have with this unnamed man. What an immediate transformation. I was thinking, how can we tell this story in 2022 terms? And how can we think of it perhaps from the perspective of this unnamed man, the Ethiopian eunuch? And so I imagined... I'm not particularly into cars, but, but bear with me. Let's have a look at the next slide. Imagine that you are driving along in your new Porsche Cayenne. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> You're driving along the Great Western Highway uh, from Penrith towards the city. You might be called someone, something of a religious seeker. You don't necessarily know the whole gospel about Jesus, but you think about things and you think about life and what's important. And in fact, as you're driving along in your Porsche, you're listening to a podcast about love because you've decided that you want to be a more loving person, a more generous person, a more open person. And, and as you stop at the traffic lights, you notice this random guy, you've never met him before, he's holding up this sign, do everything in love. And then you're interested because it's what you're listening to on your podcast but you take off from the traffic lights and suddenly this guy drops his sign and starts sprinting alongside the car. He wants to get in, he wants to talk to you. And you kind of look at him. And I wonder if I saw this crazy guy holding up a sign who starts sprinting alongside of my car, would I offer that same kind of hospitality? Would I slow down, would I stop, open the car door and say, come on in? I want to listen to what you have to say. There are things that I don't understand yet about love, about Jesus. I'm not sure if I'd be that generous. But I think this is a, a kind of a picture of where this man's heart was and the opportunity that Philip had to respond. So what might that mean for us? How can we come alongside others? Maybe people who are different to us. Maybe people that we don't completely understand. How can we do it? I think we just do it with God's help. With God's help, we continue to see the gospel crossing geographical, social, cultural and religious barriers. With God's help, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here in Penrith and in the wider community. 
and in the wider community. (laughs) There are often urgent needs, legitimate needs before us. As people of faith, we live by faith. We engage with things that we might not be able to see. We can give a gift and not seek the credit for it to kids whose parents are incarcerated. We can be part of what God is doing in the wider community, even if we don't see the results. Sometimes it's a bonus when we get to see the full picture of what God has done and what God is doing. But we live by faith. We exercise our faith in obedience to God and God will bring in the results because as much as our hearts cry, your kingdom come, your will be done, this is what God wants to. This is what God is already doing. So thank you for the invitation to be a part of it today and thank you for the invitation of giving such a good picture of where Penrith Baptist Church is at and for the opportunity just to share a little bit about Northwest Cambodia. Thanks, God.